It's a huge factor in the ranching business that affects profitability, and it's called cow longevity. The more money they can make for you as productive members of the herd, the more money is in your pocket at the end of the day. Dr. Bethany Funnel with Purdue University is my guest today as we talk the economics of when that cow becomes a profit center, factors affecting longevity, and how we can increase the opportunity for that cow to be in our herd longer. On this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show... Welcome again, everyone, to another episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and we thank you for joining us. Now, if this is your first time listening to our program here today, first of all, I want to let you know where you can find us every Saturday and Sunday right here at 12 noon Eastern on Rural Radio Channel 147, Sirius XM. Now, if you're the podcast listening type, well, you can find us on about every podcast provider out there. If you search under Working Ranch Radio Show, you will find us. And this is episode 39 in our podcast series. So not only can you listen to today's program again, but you can also go back and you can listen to previous shows as well or share them on Facebook or Instagram, any of your social media. We'd appreciate that We'd uh, for sure if you'd share them out there, if you like something or shoot me back a comment as well you can easily get a hold of me my email address is justin.workingranch at gmail.com easy way to reach out to me and let me know what you think or if you have an idea for a topic on a show you'd like us to cover feel free to do it there as well. Well, on our program today, I'm pleased to have Dr. Bethany Funnel with Purdue University. She's a professor in the Department of Veterinary Clinical Sciences at the Purdue College of Veterinary Medicine as we get into the topic of cow longevity. And I will tell you, you know, I've had a lot of discussions and you probably heard them here on our show with a lot of the different breeds across the country here. This is one subject that comes up across many of the breed conversations that you will hear is how do we improve cow longevity for the rancher? Of course, there's a lot of variables that go into that, but nevertheless, it still is something that is a huge economic element to our ranching business. And so I'm pleased to have Dr. Bethany Funnel with Purdue today to talk about that and a lot of the factors affecting that, the economics of that as well. Also, the Captain Tim O'Byrne will be by with uh, his two cents, some advice for us as we're heading into the busy time of the shipping season. And meteorologist Don Day will join us in our last segment today as we look at the long-term weather. Going to start to see some change in the weather for the near term, but long-term is it lining up to the Old Farmer's Almanac? That's the question I'll ask meteorologist Don Day for our weather segment. Well, right now, a thank you to our sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Simmental Association. And the American Simmental Association believes that one of their primary purposes for existence is genetic evaluation and then providing genetic awareness tools that help producers make decisions that will improve or move their operations forward. From maternal traits to terminal traits, the genetic merit of Simmental Genetics, providing increased profitability back to the rancher. Sim Genetics, profit through science. Find out more at Simmental.org. Biozyme, protect and recovery with VitaCharge by Biozyme. For more information, visit VitaFirm.com forward slash Vita dash 
charge. Performance Beef. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. And Hargrove Insurance, providing pasture range and forage insurance to ranchers across the nation. You can contact Hargrove Ranch Insurance at 325-573-8975 for a free custom quote or check them out online at Hargrove Insurance. Well, now let's check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, everybody out there in Radio Land. Hey, Justin, I think it's a good time right about now to remind everybody that you need to take a good hard look at your stock trailer back there. Um, Make sure that the brakes are working properly, make sure the tires are not over or underinflated, the wheel bearings are greased, and uh, very important, make sure the lights are all working, and check that spare. Make sure she's aired up too, because you never know. You don't want to be pulling it out of the rack uh, and find out that it's been flat for the last nine years. So that's my two cents. Justin, take it away. All right. Well, Captain, so you're you're telling me my trailer has brakes that are supposed to work? Well, actually, I, I really don't seem to have much of a problem with the brakes and the lights working on my trailer, but my dadgum pickup brake controller, oh God, that's another issue. Anyway, well, thanks again, Captain, for a little reminder for us to stay safe out there as we are finding ourselves in the busy time of the year with trailers up and down the highway. Well, don't go away. When we come back, we'll get into our feature topic today on cow longevity. Dr. Bethany Funnel with Purdue University joining us. And then in our very last segment today of our program, meteorologist Don Day back with a look at our long-term weather. Don't go away. You're listening to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus Sired Steer Calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and our featured interview today is brought to you by Biozyme. Protect and recovery with Vita Charge by Biozyme. For more information, visit vitafirm.com forward slash vita dash charge. Well, as I said at the top of the program, our featured interview our topic today is on cow longevity, and it's really a topic that has come up more and more as as I think about it from my own commercial cow-calf operation here and, and also in talking with registered to purebred operators all the way up to breed associations. And so it's something that I think if we're going to be honest with each of ourselves in looking at our own respective operations, that it is something that's costing us a lot of money. And so my guest today is Dr. Bethany Funnel out of Purdue University. Now, she originally got her uh, degree from Purdue University and then went into practice at the University of Minnesota North Central Research Outreach Center and was the coordinator for Reproductive Biotechnology Center. Now, in 2014, Dr. Funnel returned back to Purdue University and is currently a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Veterinary Clinical Science. 
Sciences at the Purdue College of Veterinary Medicine. Uh, her and her husband might currently operate a small herd of registered cattle in northern Minnesota, as well as a small row crop enterprise. So with that, I would like to welcome my guest today, Dr. Bethany Funnel with Purdue University. And Dr. Funnel, thanks for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, Dr. Funnel, as you and I talked before our interview today, I explained kind of the direction or where I was coming from and why I wanted to cover this topic of beef cow longevity. And I reached out to you because uh, I know you've done some research on this and have some other expertise in this field as well. But for personally for me, I, I look at this as a hidden cost to our industry that a lot of times gets overlooked because we really don't do a great job of of laying it out on paper and really following it through and seeing the reality of actually what is happening in regards to culling our cows versus what we think or what we hope is going on. And so I come back to that the economics of beef cow longevity really is a major cost to our industry. Yes, absolutely. I think one of the challenges that we deal with, and I, I've dealt with it personally myself, my husband and I have our own cattle as well. And um, when we retain replacement heifers, um, what a lot of producers don't understand is that that heifer basically owes you money for keeping her in the herd. Um, and that the money that she owes you is what her value would be as a feeder calf. That's money that you are not able to put in your bank account because you retained her as a replacement. And so that that's one of the first costs that I think is unrecognized. Um, and we talk a lot about development costs and that sort of thing. So we can tally those up. But it's that initial value that I think gets missed a lot. And, you know, with good, today's markets, um, you know, if, if the value of a, of a feeder calf now is around $900, you know, automatically that heifer basically has a $900 um, note against her plus her initial fee, you know, first year development costs, which is going to be, you know, depending on where you are, maybe around $450. Um, so by the time she's a year, a year of age, that heifer, and she's not even bred yet, by the way, that heifer owes you about $1,350 as a producer. So um, looking at those as simply, I just have feed into this heifer is, is a little bit erroneous because we're missing that opportunity cost that she, um, that we, we gave her um, by keeping her in the herd. Mm-hmm. And I think along the same lines as that opportunity cost there is knowing that is, well, I've already got the hay or I've already got the feed and we're not charging our, our enterprise back that feed cost. If we had to charge that feed cost back and really see a number to that and we need to, there would be a real understanding of what is also the input cost going into that that heifer. That's correct. That's correct. And and one of the things that's just absolutely critical for longevity of a, of a beef cow is how well she's developed as a heifer. So again, looking at not just the the value of the hay and and other you know forages that are available, but then any additional supplement that has to go into that heifer um, to get her developed to a proper weight for breeding also needs to be counted in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once we get past that year of age, you know we finally you know in the the her first you know spring as a yearling, she's going to get inseminated whether it's artificially or by a bull by natural service, and then she's out on pasture and and you know, grazing, taking in feedstuffs that another, you know, perhaps cow could be consuming. So that is a cost um, that needs to be factored in, you know, pasture rental and pasture availability. Um, and then, again, she's got to go through another entire winter um, of feed before she's even going to have her first calf. So um, just by running some simple numbers um, with today's values, that that heifer would 
you know, by the time she had her first calf, she would owe the the ranching enterprise eighteen hundred dollars. And by the time she actually, you know, if you consider pasture costs for her second pasture um, and then breeding costs and veterinary costs and such, by the time she actually would wean her first calf, she owes the enterprise about two two thousand dollars. So um, if we look at then, we, we she weans her first calf, and let's just, again, for rough figures, assume that that first calf is worth $900. Now she still has an outstanding balance of $1,100. And if we continue on with kind of a standard $450 annual um, cost mm-hmm. per cow, you know, and the $900 value of each calf weaned, it takes her roughly this to the sale of her fourth calf before she actually starts turning a profit. And that makes her six years old. Mm-hmm. And um, that that's a very, very long time that I, I don't think a lot of producers really recognize that that they need they need their cows to be at least six years of age before they're turning a profit for the enterprise. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you're probably being pretty generous to us as ranchers to say that our annual cost to run a cow is going to be $450 a year. Nevertheless, though, as you said, this cow is going to be over six years old before she then becomes a profit maker in our cow-calf enterprise. And so the next thing I begin to think of, so what's the average age of U.S. in our U.S. cattle herds of cows being cold? And I know we have some newer data out there, but in the proceedings that I read from an NAVC conference back in 2013, when you presented a topic on the economics of beef-cow longevity, you cited data gathered from an Angus herd in Wyoming and then a Hereford herd in Arizona, and it was 30 years worth of data from the late 1950s to the late 1980s, and the average cow age that was culled just over six and a half to seven years of age. Correct. Yes, they were they were actually barely paying for themselves before they were removed on as cull cows. Um, and, and I would really honestly would love to challenge each of your listeners um, to look at their average age across their cow herd, you know, and see what percentage of cows are over that six years of age. Um because those are their profit makers, you know, those are the cows that are really bringing in money. And then look at the number of cows that are less than six years of age and what the distribution of that is. You'll really see that a lot of, of um, cows will fall out of the herd right at about their their uh, after they wean their first calf and sometimes after they wean their second calf, depending on, on the management practices. And so, um, you know, a lot of a lot of headway can be made. Um, with managing um, some of those younger cows earlier on. And another thing that, I, that we can't forget about as well in the balance sheet is what that cow's value herself is mm-hmm. as sure. a cull cow. Because even if, you know, if she's six years old, um, you know, and she's she's making that, you know, profit, we'll say just for easy numbers, math that I was working with, you know, $250 profit, but then there's also her value. And so, you know, if you were to turn around and sell that cow and she's in good shape and I'm, I'm going to, you know, assume that maybe she's a, you know, 1500 pound cow, that's, that's kind of the average cow size over in our area, probably a little bit smaller out in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, she might be worth a thousand dollars. And yeah. so she could be profiting. If you sold that cow immediately, she could be profiting you, you know, $1,250 at that point. Yeah. Uh, but um, it's, it's still, it, it does not um, decrease the need um, to keep these cows in the herd longer because the more money they can make for you as productive members of the herd, the more money is in your pocket at the end of the day. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I know for me, uh, trying to put some reality to this and understand it from a perspective that, uh, that I can put some numbers to, and it's an example that I've shared with other folks as I've, as we've, I've had discussions with other people about this, but if we were to take a hundred head of bred heifers and in four years, how many of those would be left in the herd? I think, honestly, we would be startled to realize how much of a fallout that we are seeing in our cattle. Yes, I absolutely uh, agree. Um, I can't give you any specific numbers right now, but we did have um, the, an integrated resource uh, management program here for beef cattle in the state of Indiana. And I went through some of the numbers for some of the herds, and I was really surprised to see how low the percentages were in those herds of cows that were over six years of age. Mm-hmm. Dr. Bethany Funnel with Purdue University is my guest today, and we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we've talked the economics. Now we're going to be talking about what are the practices, what are some of the things that we can do that will help us retain these cattle in our herd longer. We'll be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show. It's weaning time, one of the biggest days of the year for you and the most stressful for your calves. Ensure a smooth transition with the VitaCharge Weaning Program. This two-step program with the AmaFirm Advantage gives calves the nutritional boost they need to get through the first weeks of weaning, accelerate appetite, increase weight gain, and improve health. It's weaning time. Get them ready with VitaCharge. For more information, visit VitaFirm.com forward slash Vita dash charge. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and this segment is brought to you by Performance Beef, easy-to-use cattle management software. So how do you manage data for your cattle business? Well, you can stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs and get real-time access from anywhere with Performance Beef. You can update rations, generate real-time closeout reports, record health data right there at the chute or in the pen or out in the pasture, or you can analyze performance trends all in one place with ease. Your feed, financial, and health information all integrated in one easy-to-use platform accessible from your computer or your smartphone or your tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Well, our featured subject today is on cow longevity, and my guest is Dr. Bethany Funnel with Purdue University. And if you're just joining us uh, in the first segment uh, with our conversation, uh, Dr. Funnel talking about the economics of of how long a cow uh, is in a herd before she begins to pay for herself. And Dr. Funnel, I want to go now because we, we've, we've laid out the fact that we need to keep these cattle in our herds longer than that six-year mark where they become a profit center for our operations. So from your perspective, what are some of the things that we could be doing to help retain these cattle in our herd longer? You know, there's there's a few things that, that play a role. Um, you know, genetics makes a big difference and heifer development also makes a, a big difference. Um, there's some odds and end things, you know, for instance, temperament. You know, if you, you got to have cows that you can live with. Some of those cows that, that get really aggressive at calving or are hard to deal with in handling facilities or anything like that, those cows typically don't don't survive long um, in, in uh, at least, um, you know, operations mm-hmm. where there's, there's a fair bit of hands-on um, with the cattle. So sometimes cows will get, you know, removed from the herd for reasons other than she's open or a fertility issue. Uh, but we can do things to to try to minimize that. Mm-hmm. Um, genetics 
when I'm talking about genetics, there's, there's, you know, fertility is, is lowly heritable. And so that's a really hard thing to select for. Uh, sometimes some of the best advice is to keep, you know, heifers out of old cows, cows that have proven their fertility, cows that have proven mm-hmm. that they can stick around in the herd for a long time. Um, I think feet and leg structure is, is something that a lot of breed associations are really kind of having to, you know, face the music and, and, you know, really, really take a hard look at, um, structural soundness. Um, I'm the, the, uh, official veterinarian for the Indiana beef evaluation program, which is a bull test. Mm -hmm. And we have a breeding soundness committee that evaluates the structural soundness of every bull that comes through our program. And um, in the last few years, we have seen some structural abnormalities that really come to the forefront and we have a hard, you know, we're, we're, we're tough on them. And some of our consigners are really, you know, challenged by that, but we need to pay real close attention to feet and legs. Otherwise, you know, for the most part, they're heritable. So if you have a foot structure problem in a bull, you use that bull on your cow herd and you keep replacements out of them, you're, you're putting that back into your herd. Mm -hmm. And his daughters are going to have issues ambulating out in pasture. And if you have large pastures, that's not a good thing. Uh, so that's one of the things I think that um, we, is really starting to, to come to the forefront as far as seed stock producers and as far as the bull studs are concerned. The breed associations themselves, Angus Association, is really working hard on developing a, a fairly objective um, foot scoring system that mm-hmm. can be utilized on the ranch um, to try to get a better handle on, you know, foot foot shape yeah. and any defects that are associated with that. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, another factor that I see creating some fallout would be their ability to stay milking and the soundness of that udder. Udder scores are now becoming a more uh, common thing um, for beef cows. Um, you stay away from, you know, if you if you avoid um, selecting cows with quality udders, then udders can really um, fall apart. And, of course, in a, in a young cow, you know, in a heifer, you can't tell. You don't know what her udder is mm-hmm. going to look like. It's not until she has, and not even after she has her first calf, there might be some in indications that maybe she's not going to have a very good udder when she calves the first time. Um, but it's usually later on in life that bad udders are really manifested. And so that makes it really tough. These, it's, it's something that is very, very difficult to select for in the young female. Um, and that's, that's a scenario where we can get into you know, mm-hmm. quite a quite a bit of problems in an entire, you know, age range of cows. You know, for instance, it was the 2014 heifers out of this particular bull have terrible udders. And now those cow- girls are going to fall out of the herd at a much, a much quicker rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's another another piece of the genetics puzzle that that um, pays a plays a significant role in uh, cow longevity. Mm-hmm. Earlier, you'd said that fertility was a lowly inheritable trait. But I know there's some other elements around that that can can influence some of that. So I'd like you to expand on that a little bit more, if you could. You know, we talked about fertility as a really lowly heritable trait and really hard to select for. But then, you know, is that a genetic thing or is that an epigenetic thing? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how many of your um, listeners have been exposed to epigenetics mm-hmm. um, or fetal programming or fetal development. Uh, but basically the the concept is that the um, environment in which the embryo gestates 
is going to have a major impact on adult phenotype Mm -hmm. of that particular individual. So um, a great study um, that that was published here fairly recently out of the Meat Animal Research Center um, showed that um, heifers um, that had large ovaries Mm -hmm. also produced more proteins in their uterus which means that heifers that were um, gestated in cows that had adequate nutrition also had more competent uteri. Hmm. So the fertility of that, those offspring heifers was determined by their mother's nutritional status in gestation, particularly in the first trimester of gestation. Mm-hmm. And so with fertility being so incredibly important, one of the things I think we need to pay attention to is how we feed our cows, Mm -hmm. um, particularly uh, those young cows. Not only is it going to be good for them to keep them in the herd, to keep them in good condition and and help them reproduce, but it will also pay dividends in their offspring's fertility. So that's some of the really fascinating research that's coming out right now um, associated with um, fertility Mm -hmm. in beef cattle. Yeah. So as you talk about the data coming out about the epigenetics that's showing we can give these embryos a good start with proper nutrition that then later on ties into a potential brood cow in our herd. The thought that's, I guess, coming through my head is this, because for me, my cows have to be profitable. My operation has to be profitable. And I really can't afford to be putting $800 into a cow every year. So where is the balance in this? And you know, a lot of that cost uh, in an annual cost is feed. And so how do we keep our inputs down on this cow, but yet give her the opportunity to stay in the herd through the right feed, their nutrition, and of course, then improving the longevity of our cow herd? Right. That's absolutely correct. That's absolutely correct. And so we can be a little bit more strategic about how we feed cattle. So if you think about the first trimester, that's that's really kind of the critical time where mm-hmm. we want to make sure we've got good nutrition in front of those cows because not only have they, you know, they've, they've had a calf, so they've started a lactation, so they're trying to feed a calf and they're trying to get their, their uterus, you know, involuted down and healed up and get to cycling so that they can get pregnant within, you know, 80 days of their 80 to 85 days of their calving date. And then through the first 100 days of that gestation, that's when nutrition is critical. So those, if if you're going to really focus on nutrition and really kind of, you know, try to be as, as you know, uh, diligent as you can, that would be the time that I would suggest mm-hmm. it. Um, in mid-gestation, there's some other things that happen. So there's a lot of... of cell division and cell um, expansion number, you know, cell Mm -hmm. population expansion um, during during the second trimester, particularly of muscle and bone and that sort of thing. So the total muscle cells is going to be dictated during uh, the the second uh, trimester of gestation. And then the third trimester of gestation is just simply growth of the cells that are existing, Mm -hmm. Um, specifically muscle, um, skeletal, um, and, and um, you know, fat and, and some of the other proteins. The interesting thing about reproduction is the um, structures that ultimately become either the ovaries or the testes, they pretty well complete all of their division within the first 100 days. Okay. And then they start to organize and start to, so they start to lose the, 
the what's referred to as the gonadocyte or the the cell that either is going to become a sperm cell in the male or an an um, egg or oocyte in the female. Mm-hmm. So that's way dictated way at the first part of gestation. So, you know, when you're speaking about fertility, that is the time where you can really impact the fertility of the offspring. Mm-hmm. Something that as you were talking about that and in light of this year and I and there's been a large portion of the country that's been in a drought situation. And so I I kind of throw this question out there. Do we want to be keeping replacement heifers uh, out of drought yeared cattle? That is such an (laughs) excellent question. That is an absolutely excellent question. And the challenge as well with that is, you know, with the cows that, you know, in a drought situation, we're often dealing with cows that are, that are, you know, nutritionally challenged and and potentially a greater percentage of cows that are open. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then you run into, you know, perhaps the market is going to shift. We're going to see decreases in market prices because, you know, the market's flooded with open cows. And it really begs the question then of, of, you know, going back to the economics, are you better off keeping a heifer calf that's just weaned? Or are you better off from an economic standpoint of keeping a young but open cow? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you think about the impact on that heifer you know, that, that maybe was, was going through that stress of, of, uh, the drought Mm -hmm. and, you know, the cow has, the cow can, can gain weight back quicker. She's already proven that she can be fertile, you know, in, in this unusual drought circumstance, you know, that's, that's nothing, that's not something that she can control. It's not something that the, the rancher can control. Um, so you have to weigh, the the economics and and every individual ranch is going to have to determine what's going to work the best for them. It may be such a thing that the economics say that you're better off selling those feeder calves and keeping an open cow, which if you keep an open cow, um, you actually have to keep her for an additional two years in order for her to pay for that year that she got to stick around and stay open. So, Definitely um, situation-specific, ranch-specific, um, and, and it's going to take some serious number crunching to determine what the correct approach would be for each individual operation. We're going to take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Bethany Funnel with Purdue University as we're talking today our subject on cow longevity. And if you think this is an important issue for us as ranchers, I will tell you another group of folks that believe it's very important, and that is your breed associations. We're going to talk about it when we come back after this. You're listening to the Working Ranch Radio Show on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. Animal health is key to your business. So how do you track cattle health treatments? Well, stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. Performance Beef helps you record processing data, enter costs, and track animal health history all in real time at the shoot. The mobile app also makes it easy to log pasture and pen treatments on the go. Your health data is integrated with feed and financial information in one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to request a demo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. My guest today, Dr. Bethany Funnel with Purdue University, and our subject is on cow longevity. And if you're just joining us and you've missed part of this program, some really good stuff that we've had up to this. I'm not going to rehash a lot of it, but I would encourage you, if you want to go back and listen to it, you can go to our, our podcast site at 
uh, any podcast provider that's out there. If you just search under Working Ranch Radio Show, you'll find it. It will come up there. This is episode 39 in our podcast series. But as we continue our conversation with Dr. Bethany Funnel today on Cow Longevity, Dr. Funnel, I've had a lot of conversations with several of the different breed associations that represent breeds that we see here all across the country. And one of the subjects that always comes up is longevity. That's a big deal to a lot of them. And I know for many of the associations, they're starting to build EPDs or put numbers in their EPDs uh, that reflect uh that longevity in the cow. I think uh, one of them that I've seen a lot of the EPDs is stability. Can we rely on those numbers? Oh, that is that is a, a big question. That is an excellent question. So th- another thing that we have to consider too is is you know the the breed associations have developed EPDs, um, but if you turn to the dairy industry, they have used genomics to their advantage. They have really really delved into genomics. And they have been able to come up with some pretty solid data. Um, the challenge with the beef industry, it's really, really hard to get all that genomics information put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, dairy cows are handled every day. You know, they produce a product twice a day every day. And so cash flow is, is very important. And so efficiency really becomes super important. With beef cows, you know, number one, beef cows are not confined as a rule. Mm-hmm. You know, cows are out on pastures. That's That's where... You know, the beef cow exists. And so what works in one operation may not work in another. Um, we, you know, we can look at the, the typical beef cow in the state of Indiana. If you brought her out to Wyoming, she would with her way to nothing. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and you bring a Wyoming cow out to Indiana, and if she didn't bust through everybody's fences, she would get hog fat and never get bred again. So, um, you know, the, the different um, environments really dictate what kind of animals we need to have. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that makes it very very challenging when we can't utilize genomics to the extent that the that the dairy um, associations and the and the dairy breeds can. No. Um, should we abandon genomics altogether? No, I think there's there's some tools there that we can utilize if we can get organized and get enough data um, and enough t- uh, samples put together that we can develop some um, some reliable. Uh, markers and some reliable predictions. And your reference there about finding cows that fit your environments being very important. Along those same lines, when we look at this issue of longevity, is there a factor that you can you would you would go back to that you feel is important in getting this cow to be retained in this herd longer, have more longevity in our herds? something that you would root that back to in her lifespan that gives her that opportunity to be that that profit center for us down the road? You know, some of the things that, that really kind of influence, you know, ultimately, you know, a cow's fit for a particular environment and how well she does in that environment, is, you know, it's going to be the development process. I think that's something that we can't ignore and we can't downplay. Um, developing heifers is, you know, it's it, it's kind of an art. Mm-hmm. Um, the the trick with it is, you know, number one, we don't want heifers to get too fat, um, but also we don't want heifers to develop too slowly that they can't get pregnant in an, in an appropriate time frame. We want those girls to have their first estrus at least by 13 months of age so they can get pregnant by 15 months of age in order for them to stay on track. And um, 
you know, one one of the things that we've noticed, again, some newer data coming out of the uh, International Embryo Technology Society is they found that in it, this works and it, it, it happens in high producing dairy cows, but it also happens in developing beef heifers that are on a high starch ration. Okay. The challenge with those high starch rations is when they when they consume a lot of starches, that kicks up their liver metabolism, just generally speaking. You know, they're processing all of the starches and the liver just gets to rolling. The problem is the liver is the location where um, the steroid hormones are processed and uh, excreted. Mm -hmm. And if the liver is increasing its metabolism of those steroid hormones, then it takes a little bit longer um, to get the normal hormonal axis functioning properly. So heifers that are on a high starch or high, you know, developing, you know, high high plane of nutrition, high developing ration, they are going to have fertility issues. So having those heifers on something that's that's more forage based, that still meets their growth needs as far as energy is concerned, and and you know, protein as well, um, but not getting into the point where. There, you're starting to get aberrations in the hormonal axis, then you're going to be more likely to get those girls pregnant. And first, um, the the age at first breeding or the age at first pregnancy for heifers is going to be a significant uh, dictator in where they um, end up falling out of the herd. Mm-hmm. So if, if a heifer gets pregnant on the first insemination, she's much more likely to stick around in the herd for much longer, barring any, you know, major aberrations like a massive drought or something like that that causes her to lose condition and, and you know, lose her ability to reproduce. Or if she's got bad feet that, you know, you didn't see before. Um, if a heifer gets bred late in the breeding season, she's going to get bred late in every subsequent breeding season, and she's going to fall out of the herd in a big hurry. Mm-hmm. So I really like the the production scenarios in which, you know, basically all the heifers can be retained up until their first breeding. And let's say they're around 900 pounds to 1,000 pounds. Those that don't become pregnant, they can just go on in the feeder calf markets, sure. you know, as, as, you know, sold as, as yearlings for yearling, you know, be fed out as yearlings. Um, and those that are pregnant then can stay in the herd and, and continue on through the development process. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a break here, and we've got one more segment coming up with Dr. Bethany Funnel with Purdue University as we are talking on the subject of cow longevity. The question we're going to address next is the, the age-old question of, do I raise my replacements or should I buy them? We're going to talk about that with Dr. Funnel when we return. We'll be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Coming to the Las Vegas Convention Center, December 8th, 9th, and 10th, it's the Working Ranch Expo, brought to you by Working Ranch Magazine. It's thousands of feet of space filled with the ranch industry's leading equipment manufacturers and suppliers, plus great speakers that will inspire and educate you. And we're in the hall just across from Cowboy Christmas. Register to attend at WorkingRanchExpo.com. It's Working Ranch Expo by day, NFR by night. We'll see you at the Expo. 
Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and we thank you for joining us on our program today. My guest is Dr. Bethany Funnel with Purdue University. Our subject has been on cow longevity, and we've covered a lot of topics up to now, and we continue now with the age-old question, Dr. Funnel, of should I raise the replacements out of my own cow herd or should I be buying them? And I know there's pros and cons to both. There's some marketing factors that can play into some of that. But from your expertise, is there any light you could shed on that topic for us? My perspective would be, um, well, kind of twofold. Number one, what can you get heifers bought for compared to what you can raise them yourselves? Mm-hmm. That's going to be kind of the, one of the first things is can you buy heifers for less than you can raise them for. And if that's the case, then that may be the better option. Having said that, um, if you buy heifers for what you can for less than what you can raise them for, but those heifers don't work in your environment and in yeah. your production system, then that was not a good investment. Sure. And it, then it might be worth more to put that money up front in raising your own heifers um, than than it is to to go out and buy those. Now when we talk about replacements too, one of the things that, you know, we automatically assume maybe heifers, but you can buy cows. Mm-hmm. That is another option is to buy cows um, and use those cows as replacements. Mm-hmm. So every circumstance is going to be a little bit different. You bet. With our featured topic today being on cow longevity, we've covered a lot of different aspects that all play into and come back to our feature topic today. And so as we kind of wrap things up, I, w- I would like for you to just give us th- a, a brief synopsis of when we talk about cow longevity and in, in your experience and in, in your research that you have seen, what would the advice you would leave us as ranchers about this issue and about addressing cow longevity in each of our operations? I think that um, I think we're leaving a lot of money on the table by losing cows um, before they really start to turn us a profit. We can't be afraid of older cows. Older cows are really profitable cows. Um, the toughest time to get a cow pregnant is after um, she's had her first calf. Well, she's still trying to grow. She's trying to lactate and she's trying to reproduce. So focusing our attention um, from an economic standpoint on some of those younger cows to try to um, get them pregnant a little bit sooner and make sure they don't fall out of the herd. And we can do some simple management things as well to try to try to get that done without, you know, a huge cost, even something as simple as, you know, having our first calf heifers pastured with our yearling heifers as opposed to with the mature cows. That can really make a big difference. And then um, heifer development, giving those girls every chance that you can within reason um, to become pregnant um, and keep only those that really look like they're going to have the best fertility, get pregnant early in the breeding season. Um, those girls are like more likely to stay in the herd and continually be early, you know, calving early in the breeding season. Don't keep anything that, cal- that gets bred late in the breeding season because they will continue to calve late every year. You know, focused attention of of resources on the critical points, I think, is probably the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. Well, Dr. Funnel, I want to thank you for joining us here today, covering a topic that really has a lot of different points to it. And we got to a lot of those today. But uh, I do want to thank you for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. 
I have really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. And I wish the best of luck to all of your listeners. Dr. Bethany Funnel with Purdue University, my guest today on our program as we talk on this issue of cow longevity. And the thing that I guess that I think about with all of this is I I think one of the problems that we have as ranchers, and I'm going to just point back to myself, is that we think our herd is an exception to the rule. And and I and as she was sitting there talking about the topic of retaining heifers and if they don't breed up in that first cycle and if they're late breeding, they're always going to be late calving or late breeders and eventually fall out of our herd. I'm thinking to myself, oh, you know, you know, I, I'll keep these late ones. Uh, you know, my my cattle are an exception to this. I can get them caught up. But the science is there, and and I think sometimes we think, again, our herds are an exception to the rule that we can catch it up, that there's factors that we can make up for it. And when the reality of it is, is the data is there, the science is there to know that there are factors that that affect that longevity. And if we want to see that improve in our cow herd, we're going to have to make some tough decisions within our cow herd. And I'm saying that as much to myself, folks, as I am anybody else out there. But uh, again, a great subject today that I hope uh, with our conversation with Dr. Funnel really shed some light on on it and really create some thinking out there among among us because i know it did for me our featured interview today brought to you by biozyme protect and recovery with vita charge by biozyme for more information visit vitafirm.com forward slash vita dash charge well stay with us coming up next meteorologist don day joins us with a look at our long-term weather when we return on the working ranch radio show Ranching has been in the Hardgrove family for generations, and they know the value of keeping a ranch in the family. Hardgrove Ranch Insurance provides pasture, range, and forage insurance to ranchers across the nation. PRF Insurance is a USDA-subsidized program that allows ranchers to insure against the risk of below-average rainfall. Hardgrove Ranch Insurance utilizes industry-leading custom software to provide the rancher with information they need to stay up-to-date and educated on their policy throughout the year. Hargrove Ranch Insurance supports ranchers for this generation, the next, and those yet to come. Contact Hargrove Ranch Insurance at 325-573-8975 for a free custom quote or online at hargroveinsurance.com. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. Our weather segment brought to you by Hargrove Insurance, providing pasture, range, and forage insurance to ranchers across the nation. You can contact Hargrove Ranch Insurance at 325-573-8975 and request that free custom quote, or you can check them out online at hargroveinsurance.com. Well, joining me now is meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. And Don, you've been telling us uh, all along here that as we get to the latter part of September, that we are going to see a fairly significant weather change. And we're going to talk about some different portions of the country because I know most of that colder air is going to be in the northwestern part of the country we'll talk about the southwest and the south in a bit but first of all that is going to happen as you are seeing and how significantly colder are we going to be looking at well based on how warm it's been this summer especially across the the northern plains and the northern rockies and the pacific northwest it's going to be a significant change um it's not unusual at all as you go right at that uh, time frame of the last 10 days of september into early october you usually expect something to cut loose from those northern latitudes you know those nights are getting longer up there and those days are getting shorter and so 
you just build up that cold air and things start to change and get more active. So we are going to go from a pretty warm pattern across a good portion of the lower 48 states to a pattern as we go into next week that is certainly going to be cooler. And it'll be felt first in the Pacific Northwest, British Columbia, Alberta. Then it'll spill into the northern and central Rockies. Uh, by early next week. And uh, I do see that a good portion of the northern United States uh, by oh, the middle to the end of the week will all feel a little taste of fall. We could even see some snow in the higher northern Rockies with this system. Mm-hmm. When I look at your kind of a 10-day, 14-day forecast of average weather or average temperature, we're seeing what we just talked about in the northwest, uh, northern tier of the country. But when we look in the south, down into Texas, uh, New Mexico, Texas, and even into everything looks like almost east of the Missouri River, they're looking at, at above average temperatures. That's right. When you see an area of low pressure, a dip in the jet stream take place in the northwest and northern areas of the United States, that actually creates high pressure and warmer conditions downstream, or that would be over the east coast of the United States. So that's one thing that you can kind of watch throughout the course of a, of a season is that when low pressure is in the west, it's warm in the east. So that's exactly what will happen. And for the Gulf Coast areas, uh, Tropical Storm Nicholas brought more rain. Uh, to the Gulf Coast of Texas and Louisiana, and there is going to be more subtropical air. So we'll be warm and very muggy and wet in the south central and southeastern areas of the United States while we see that colder weather and that uh, more moisture go into the northern areas of the U.S. You know, one thing that we may see, Justin, and we did see this late last week, mm-hmm. is we may see rain again in parts of Oregon, Washington, and even Northern California. Uh, they got a little bit, and they may get a bit more out of this weather pattern change, and that would certainly be great news for those western wildfires. You bet. So if we're in a La Nina pattern this year, as we were last year, it was a little bit milder October, November. Is that what we're going to see this year as well? I think we will, um, because historically – Octobers and into early November can be warmer than normal for a lot of the United States during La Nina. Uh, and I think that is going to kind of fit into how the, the early winter season is going to go, which is with La Nina gaining strength. And we just looked at some new data that shows that uh, those sea surface temperatures are cooling off again. That could lead to some milder than normal conditions for most of the 48 states in October and November. Now, that's not to say there will be interruptions and there'll be cold fronts and some some winter weather at times. But on the whole, um, I think the, the fall season for many areas of the U.S. will end up being warmer than normal. Mm-hmm. It seems like whenever we're, there's conversation amongst farmers or ranchers about weather, they always say, well, this is what the old Farmer's Almanac says. So the old Farmer's Almanac is saying that January and February are going to have moisture. And I haven't necessarily heard that from you. I've heard you say it's going to be colder potentially with transitioning out of La Nina. But what are you seeing for January, February across the country? Well, I certainly think the the, the potential is there, uh, namely because if we go back to our analog forecasting tools um, in patterns that we've seen like this before, uh, if we do see this mild start to winter, um, One thing that we've seen before is that you tend to see the second half of the winter get a little bit more severe when you see the La Nina continuing into the early winter, then beginning to fade. And that sets in motion a lot of things with the interactions with our oceans and the other dynamic things that'll happen as the sea surface temperatures change. So 
to lend a little credence to the farmer's almanac, I do think the northern parts of the United States in January and February could be in for a rough ride. Now, I'm certainly confident with the cold in that forecast for Mm -hmm. January and February. The snow is always a bit of a wild card because you have some things that can fall together because you can be plenty cold in January and February in, in places like Minnesota, Wisconsin, the Dakotas and Montana, but not have a lot of snow. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times they don't go hand in hand, but I'm certainly confident that the first three months of 2022 for a large portion of the northern and central United States is going to be cold. All right. Well, I hate to leave everyone with the foreshadowing of what could be potentially be kind of a rougher January and February, but uh, it's always good to have some forewarning with that. So, Don, thanks for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) All right. Take care. You too. Meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. By the way, you can check out his daily video podcast on his website at dayweather.com. Weather Today brought to you by Hargrove Ranch Insurance, providing pasture range and forage insurance to ranchers across the nation. Contact Hargrove Ranch Insurance at 325-573-8975 for a free custom quote, or you can check them out online at hargroveinsurance.com. Well, I'd like to thank my guests for joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show, Dr. Bethany Funnel with Purdue University, as we talked about the issue on cow longevity. Also to the captain, Tim O'Byrne, with his two cents. A thank you to our sponsors as well, the American Simmental Association. Heterosis works, which is why with Simmental, it's more per head, period. Find out more at Simmental.org. Biozyme, protect and recovery with Vita Charge by Biozyme. For more information, visit VitaFirm.com forward slash Vita dash charge. Performance Beef, find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Hardgrove Ranch Insurance, providing pasture range and forage insurance to ranchers across the nation. Give them a call, check them out online for a free custom quote hardgroveinsurance.com. Well, the Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine. You can join us right here every Saturday and Sunday at 12 noon Eastern on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM, or on your podcast provider. Thanks again for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long. So long.